This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Hi guys, I'm Dominic Vose and uh, this is Dragonheart. Welcome to Dragonheart. It's been a bit of a turbulent week at the race course. Well, not at the race course, at another neutral ground, but Marine really gave us a, <laughs> a good game on last Saturday, didn't they? Oh yeah, they gave us a heck of a game last Saturday. <laughs> Thankfully, we improved on Tuesday, though. So many things have come out of those two matches as well. It's a, we've got loads to talk about, haven't we? Oh yeah, we've got a lot to talk about with those Marine games. We've got another interesting topic, which I read... Um, I said on Ask Wrexham on Saturday about concussion subs following the Rob Lainton injury. Uh, we're going to talk about could we have played that neutral game on Tuesday in, a, in North Wales? We'll have to see, hear from Mark. He'll know all about that. Um, and we have a few other little bits and bobs to talk about. But first, how are you, Mark? I'm not too bad. Thanks very much. Um, oh, I, I enjoyed the luxury because we were in posh old Cheshire. Uh, for the Natwich game, of commentating in just my shirt at 10 o'clock at night. That's how warm it was. We used to play more home games there. Oh, very nice. That's a a big change from last season, being in the cold road stand with no fans there. Yeah, it was pretty freezing when it was the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we have a lot to talk about. This is Dragonheart. This is Sean Brisley. This is Dragon Heart. Marine. Well, first we'll talk about the Saturday game, of course. And I wasn't there, unfortunately. I couldn't make it for personal reasons. But I'm talking to a man that was there, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, listen to your commentary. Uh, I've got to be quite honest. It was quite a painful listen for the most part. Thanks. Uh, no, I got to no, say, no, the number the... Of... no, I know, I know. Don't yeah. worry. The number <laughs> of people who said to me. Um, how do you and you're one of them? How do you stay calm when you're watching that sort of thing? Uh, I think it was an indication of just what it was like. Um, the, the let me, yeah, we're playing a team three divisions below us, and and I think this is the sentence that comes into my head that sums it up best. The, the only way we'd have won that game would have been if the, their center forward had got sent off for kicking lanes in the eighth minute because we weren't going to win it any other way. We were so off the pace, it was frightening. And the thing that really scared me was it was exactly the same as the Chesterfield game. Now, you don't want to see that, do you? You had a week and a half to correct it, and then you just make the same mistakes. But also, you're playing against a team, like I said, three divisions lower down. They were at us from the start, and we just couldn't get hold of the ball. <clears throat> we did not deserve a draw. Um, the, the man of the match by a distance for us was Dibble. And well, says a lot, doesn't it? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I think the red cards, possible red card early on on Lainton, I would argue probably was a red card, but uh, I mean, I don't think he went for Lainton. I think he's going for the ball. I don't, I don't think he's trying to do Lainton. I don't think. And the the replay, the camera's not close enough to show really either way. Um, What I would say though is that now the rules are not interpreted as they were. And essentially, the rules now are talking about the consequence as much as the intention, aren't they, really? So you win the ball cleanly, but then follow through. It's a foul, even if you didn't intend to, and just couldn't help it. Um, and, you know, the rules about red cards talk about endangering another player or being reckless. 
well, if you've kicked a bloke in their face so hard you broke his nose and knocked him out, <laughs> by definition, you have endangered that player. So I, I would argue by the way the rules are now written and, and applied, he should have gone. But I don't actually think he was trying to, to, to nail Lainton at all, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, but the thing is, though, it doesn't matter whether he was trying or not. No. He still nailed him for flat in the face. So Yeah, absolutely. It's a red card, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I mentioned in commentary as well, it's about three, four years ago now, isn't it? When Sadio Mane kicked Edison, the Man City keeper, in the head. And definitely wasn't trying to kick him in the head, but he had to go. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, he kicked him very hard in the head. That was dangerous. He It wasn't like the Bromley one. I suppose the thing is, though, the Bromley one, that's a complete accident, but it did badly hurt Leighton. So, I guess that's the problem with the rule. But no, I, yeah. I, I, he didn't. It wasn't a, an attempt to hurt Leighton, I don't think. But he did hurt him, um, and he should have gone. And then from then on, yeah, it was just we we couldn't keep the ball. Uh, the midfield kept dropping deeper. And another thing I keep saying about the game, I think Hyde and Mullen should have both got medals for the way they battled with nothing at all to work for. Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't long balls aimed at their heads or aimed at the chest. It was just smashed clearances and they had to fight for it and Hyde is more of a target man isn't he and he he's able to fight for it but he, he wasn't really given much of a chance against the centre-backs there was nothing he could take on his chest or you know flick on he's just battling with them and Mullen that's not his game at all he, so he, do you fought like do hell you think, do you think Lainton getting in you know, an early injury from your one of your star players, do you think it dropped the heads of the players a lot early, closed doors? Uh, no, early doors, sorry. No, I don't. I just think that no. was how we played the previous game. It was it was just a continuation on, if I'm honest with you. Um, I, I, no, I didn't think so. And I mean, unlike the Bromley game, he was able to walk off the pitch. You know, they could see he right. was okay. I mean, obviously, he couldn't carry on playing, um, but he walked off the pitch. So it wasn't, you know, where you're carrying on wondering how he is. And no, I think it was just we, we played the same manner as against Chesterfield and Marine were impressive. To be fair to them, I suppose the other way we could have lost it, or won it, sorry, would have been if they got tired, uh, but they didn't. They kept going through the whole 90. And yeah, we we didn't deserve to get the, the draw out of it. I mean, the strikers, like I said, battled very hard. Marine dropped off in a, after they scored, I think just because they'd scored, not because of anything else. And that allowed us back in the game a little bit. But... It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, this is another thing. I've seen a lot of Wrexham fans make assumptions that, um, oh, these marine players—they're part time. They're not going to be as fit as us. That—that's a wild assumption. You don't know that. That you know, they, 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 their players could be taking strength and conditioning and their diet just as serious as any professional player. Um, and fair play to them. They give us one hell of a game, and that's. Mm. Big kudos to them. I, I could, from the sounds of thing, I could easily see them going up the, up the ladder, of the English tables. Really. Well, that was the first time they haven't won at home this season, wasn't it? They had seven out of seven before. Well, if they win the game in hand, they're top of their league. And yeah, uh, I agree. And we had Paul Rutherford we on last season, and he was saying about how a part-time player probably trains as much as a full-time player, just at different times. You do your job, and then you train in the evening. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I. I, I they were very, very good, and they played with terrific energy. The the target man faded as the game went on, but uh, they had a very quick striker, Kenyi, often playing off the left-hand side and cutting inside, and he, he bullies Hosanna, to be honest, 
and he was a real handful and he was quick. And on the other side, or drifting sort of behind the strikers, Watkinson, um, well, I described him in the commentary yesterday as sort of Elliot Durrell on steroids. He was a, he's an angry young man, <laughs> and he was causing trouble all the time, uh, both games. But he was a nuisance, you know, a sort of like Cosillo, the Halifax player. Sort of, it's, you don't like him. But he is a nuisance, yeah. and he does cause aggravation, you know, and disruption. But you, you probably like him if he played for your team. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and they're there; they played very well. David Raven, the old Wrexham player, of course, played yeah, centre yeah. back, and he was very good in both matches. And their keeper did well in the first game, although Dibble was much busier. And Dibble made three good saves, full stretch, low down to his right to stop shots going in the bottom corner. Um, yeah, we were just really not at the races. It was for me that's. Frighteningly worrying that Dibble was the more active goalkeeper in the first game. There was no question, and and their defence was the was not troubled all that much. We had a little spell in the first. No, no, that's a lie. We didn't really have a little spell in the first half at all. We nearly scored from a corner, and that was unlucky. That was a good, lovely corner by Jordan Davis and lovely flick header by Highs, and the defender had come in off the far post and cleared it. Otherwise, yeah, we scored. But the second half, we started a bit better, but then it went back to as it was. And then they let us get on top when they scored because they were defending the lead and that allowed us to actually pin them in for the only time in the first match. Um, Mullen was actually getting a chance to get the ball to feet at last. But sadly, he then got a really nasty knock just after we'd used our third sub. And oh, it was just, I mean, again, it doesn't reflect well on the players that Mullen was, was our best player in the last 20 minutes on one leg. I mean, he was really struggling. I mean, it must have been a dead leg to recover for Tuesday. But he was he was hobbling around horribly, and yet he was still playing really well. Um, and he was getting shots off, but he couldn't get into the box because he had no mobility. He was getting crosses in. He was switching nice passes around. Um, and he showed his quality in the replay as well, of course. So a lot of people were complaining about the system. Do you think it was the system that was the problem in this in these last two games? Uh, that's that's a great question. Right? I mean, <laughs> it really is. Um, the fact that we changed the formation massively and were incredibly improved means the easy answer is yes. And I certainly would keep stick with the new shape. Um, but there's lots of lots of factors, aren't there? I mean, there's lots of different ways to play the same formation. Uh, and I would say, I don't think necessarily the 3-5-2 is a problem at all. But we don't have the personnel to play in certain ways with it. Does mm. that make sense? And, and to be fair, people are saying this all season, and, and I've been sort of, well, I wouldn't say poo-pooing it, but reducing its importance in a way when people say about the lack of a foot-on-the-ball midfielder. Um, but as time's gone on, I've recognised that, yeah, we should have got a player like that. And I think Phil Barg as well. I bet certainly has as well. I mean, the thing, the fact is that he, as I've said before, we're setting up a team to pass quickly through midfield. Not long ball, passing quickly through midfield. And therefore, he wasn't really looking for a player to slow things down. So I don't think he would have been that worried when he wasn't able to make that deal on the final day of the transfer window. Having said that, what we've seen in those two games particularly is that if the if we're not getting our passing right out from the back, we don't have a player who can control possession and bring us back into the game. 
so yeah, and that's 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 the issue. Trying to play the fast passing through midfield doesn't work if you haven't got a backup strategy to try and control the game otherwise. And I do think Parkinson's football is really effective, but when it doesn't when it's not going your way, it looks horrendous, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, the midfield drop off really deep and it doesn't yeah. stuff, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think a lot I think a lot of people don't understand quite what we're we're achieving when we're playing terribly. If you know what I mean, it, it does do, do it does just look like a hit and hope. But I, we we have seen really good glimpses of this formation and this system this season. You know, um, Dagenham first half, not Notts County first half. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's not yeah the system. I just think we played terribly. But I do agree. I think we did need a system change and. You were one of the lucky guys who got to see that on Tuesday. How, how do you think the new system looked? Uh, at, yeah. Well, I mean, let's remember again, they are three division blows. So yes, yes, but I exactly. do want to see it against a team from our level because it was uh, impressive. Um, the, I mean, the other thing, of course, is it's a hell of an improvement against exactly the same team we played terribly against three days earlier. Yeah. So. Hopefully that's a good indicator. Um, it was really interesting because we got the, the the whisper before the match that Toza was playing in midfield and the assumption everyone had was he was going to be a holding midfielder and sit in front of a back four and there'd be some sort of diamonds perhaps. Uh, not at all. Not at all. 4-2-3-1, Toza box to box. He and Davis taking it in turns to drive on or, or cover. They did that really well. I'd frankly say, if anything, probably Toza was the one driving forwards more. Um, Davis dropping off between the centre-backs to pass out from the back. It meant that we did at times pass very quickly through midfield, as Parkinson has set us up to do, and it was very effective. But it also meant that we were able to get a foot on the ball because we had a player in midfield who, who was intimidating the other side and holding the ball up well. Um, we were able to move the ball around. And with McElindon and Jarvis and Angus and Mullen all ahead of the ball making moves, um, that our passing was a lot better and we weren't looking to just hurry it forwards. I thought maybe the big indication of that change in, in attitudes, Jordan Davis played very well the last couple of games. I just feel it looks like he's trying far too hard. You know, he's desperate to make it work. He's he's trying to play killer balls all the time. He's rushing into passes, rushing into tackles. Um, and that's because he cares. But it's also because he's instructed we're looking forwards, get forwards all the time. Um, in this game, where we were not looking to do that so much, and when he had Tozer alongside him as a real physical presence, he looked class sentiment. You know, mm -hmm. he, he just looked so calm and relaxed on the ball. Um, and I'm delighted with that because he is a class act. And I think that the, the previous way of playing wasn't helping him at all. And his love of the club, I think, was also feeding into that and making him look very rushed. And with all those yellow cards he's picking up, he's got five already. Yeah, again, though, we, we need to emphasize that we are playing a team, three divisions blowers, and we should be putting these teams away. And I think Tuesday, from what I heard, it was a lot more of a professional performance, wasn't it? And it was much needed, I think, for the morale of the, the fans as well as the team. Yeah, Dibble made a good save early on, and that was all he had to do. And <clears throat> to be honest, once it went to 2 0, you could only see us scoring more, really. They didn't really threaten us much. They still battled well. I, I, I got a lot of 
respect for Marine in terms of the way they went about both games. But yeah, we imposed ourselves that second game. But I've got to say, you know, if you've got superior players and you've got money to spend on superior players, it does make sense that you you bring in players who are better on the ball, who move the ball around, and you dominate mm. through having the ball all the time. I know it's an easy thing to say, but that ninety-eight point season team, you know, keeps yeah. Clark and Harris in the middle of the pitch. We're keeping the ball. We're forcing, we're keeping the other side penned in their half. Um, that feels to me like the logical thing to do when you can bring in better players than the rest of the division. And I mean, Mullen was fabulous. Because this was the first time when we really looked like we were set up to have him at the heart of everything. And his two goals were beautifully taken, but beautifully set up as well. Um, you know, his, his approach play for the first goal was magnificent. His finish for the second, well, he's one-on-one with the keeper. And the first time in a hell of a long time, I just thought, yeah, Wrexham player one-on-one with the keeper, this is a goal. <laughs> yeah. You know, he just he was never going to miss. He was just driving to the middle, dropped his shoulder, Dumped the keeper on his backside, walked around him, tapped her in. Oh, you know what I mean? It's just, it's nice to feel that way about a striker. He was it, tremendous. It did just sound like we did what we were meant to do. Yeah. Job done. What we should have done last Saturday, unfortunately. But this is the FA Cup, and the FA Cup's a really tough tournament because Marine have got nothing to lose. They were at home. They were, they, they were going to cause us a tough game, but we made it tougher on ourselves. But Hey ho, we took it to replay and we did what we were meant to do. And I thought going to replay, I was really confident because a professional team should be beating a semi-professional team nine times out of ten, who are three leagues below it, below you, because we're gonna have more time to prepare. We've downloaded their tactics and how they play, because we probably didn't have much information than other teams in say our league. So yeah, I, I'm really pleased that we got the two-nil win clean sheet onto the game on Saturday now. I hope Barnes haven't got hold of any footage from that game as well, <laughs> being an FA Cup preliminary game, because they'll be shocked. I think we shocked Marine with the way we played as well, and I think that would shock Barnett to, to suddenly come up against us playing with Tozer as a centre mid driving forwards. Um, so, yeah, I hope so. I should say as well, I mean, a mention for Brisley, who had a very good debut. It's proper, brilliant, strong, towering centre-back. Uh, in, the, in the toes of mode, he and Hayden really combined well. French had some really good moments as a right back, he def- defensively and going forwards. And I've got to say, Macalinden was spectacular. He was so good. I mean, if, if Mullen hadn't been so good, he'd just be saying, Look at Macalinden, remarkable. He was playing, he started off on the right and then switched up Dan Jarvis and went to the left. He's got those uh, close control and quick feet. He loves taking people on, doesn't he? But he was beating people, standing up really good switches to the other side. He put Jarvis one-on-one and he should have scored. Um, Michael Linden was was terrific. Uh, so that was encouraging as well. Um, Jarvis did well in his first game of the season, incredibly. And he had some nice moments. And I did think as well, watching him, we often say he takes too many touches. He wasn't yesterday. I think there was a real sense of Phil Parkinson didn't fancy him because he slows things down. He wants players to move the ball on quickly. Jarvis is very crisp in his passing. And if he can play like that, that'll be interesting to see if he can force his way in. Uh, Although having said that, I wonder if he'll keep him in the league game. You know, there's some good players on the bench and I wonder whether that's the position that he'll be looking at possibly switching around simply because Jarvis Mm. hasn't got any match fitness or sharpness, should I say. So, so, talking about the new system, 
if every one of our players were match fit, Ooh. who would be your starting eleven in the new system? Right. Okay. Hey, um, Linton in goal. I love Dibble, but Linton's class keeper. I think depending on the opposition, French maybe did really well at right back. Uh, I mean, certainly the first game wasn't a Hosanna game uh, because mm-hmm. he, it was too physical for him. He's only young, to be fair, and Hosanna came on as a right winger in the second match. And right. Tasty, and I wonder if we might spring him from the stars against Barnet. He looked very good. So, yeah, okay, maybe... F- oh, well, right. Oh, beg your pardon, Paul Johnson. I forgot about Paul Johnson. All right, Paul well, Johnson. French, I think French has been very, very good this season. Probably our best yeah. player. He's done really well, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was the best I've seen him play, I think, this yeah. season. He was very impressive. Um, record on the left, for the same reason, I think, as is a back four, probably one physical centre back, full back. So if all Johnson's playing, I'm on record on the other side, probably. Although Cameron Green might also like Azana now be able to be as an attacking wide player. So he's got very similar mm. attributes, doesn't he? He'll come inside. He's quick. He's got nice feet. Uh, centre backs, well, and either uh, it gets interesting. Um, Brisley and Hayden look very good. Tozer and Hayden would work well. Um, just depends on why we need Tozer in midfield with this system. Maybe we don't. Maybe Davis and Young uh, would work okay uh, in this system. James Jones, I like a lot, and yet he's going to have to have a scrap to get in here. But Tozer was very good, so that that's my tricky decision, if you like. Mm. And then, well, I guess Hyde up front, although Angus did well. Mullen played off Angus, but I mean, he, he, he stays, he, he's quick enough and smart enough to get into attacking positions, obviously. Uh, so Hyde with Mullen playing off him. And then on the flanks, McAlinden definitely on one flank. And that, that's what I was trying to say before. The other flank is maybe the most open position. Jarvis did well. Hosanna uh, did well when he replaced him. Green could do that job. Um, yeah. Onticelli could do that job. And uh, I, maybe James Jones, who's good at driving forwards, could do that job. So, yeah, we've got a few interesting options in that second line. Yeah. Um, I think I'd probably be tempted by Hosanna after seeing what he did in the last half hour. Yeah. A harsh on Jarvis, because he did do a good job. I think Jarvis is very good against teams like Marine, because he's got a lot of good footballing ability, isn't he? Which I think a lot of lower teams struggle with that like natural ability he beats a couple of players really nicely yeah and, you know and then put crosses in and he did he did do well he started extremely brightly and when he switched over to the right I think that helped McAlinden more than him but he still did well he still did well but he likes to come inside on his right and mm. involved doesn't he Jarvis really so he's happy with it so up front as well with a new system would you, do you think the, the forgotten man that no one's talk, talking about when he's fit, I think Kwame Thomas would be pretty good as yeah. the target man up top. Could well be. Yeah, yeah. He's mobile, isn't he? And yeah, and we can, we, we've forgotten how good him and Dior Angus linked up towards the end of last mm-hmm. season too before he got injured. Angus's movement was really good because it made spaces for Mullen to attack as well. Yeah. Um, but then we saw in pre-season that Hyde and Mullen combined well because Hyde likes to stay between the posts and Mullen likes to operate breaking around the sides so yeah I think we've got some nice options frankly going forwards uh, scored in every game this season haven't we 
Yeah. Yeah, four, and then when Thomas comes back, five options plus Bickerstaff, who's on the bench first time this season this day. Yeah. Yeah, we got <clears throat> we got some interesting uh, sort of possibilities, haven't we? So that's. And- I really like the idea of this new system as well. I think it does brighten things up. And, it, you know, if we're into the cosh, say we're one or two nil up at the 80th minute, slip toes are back into the middle of the fence and you can go back to the 5-3-2, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, I, th- I, think, I think it's good to change things up because mm. I think we were getting quite easy to read. So if we could have two formations that we can chop and change with, yeah. it makes us more versatile. So I, mm. I, I was really pleased that we tried something different on Tuesday. It was a change of style of play that was more striking for me. I can see you playing this sort of style of football with the three as well. Um, you maybe just want the wing-backs to be joining in in midfield a bit more. It's more of your green, Mazana mm. style play than your French and record style play. But I, I like the way that we went about things with this four at the back system. We looked solid at the back as well. Um, interestingly, Clareth came on only for two minutes, admittedly. Maybe I shouldn't read anything into this as a midfielder. And like I said, mm. we're not, this was not a system where we had a holding midfielder. This was a system where one went and the other stayed. And that was sort of interesting you know, to see him do that, where the Clareth might be considered in that sort of role. He's not going to dominate physically how Toza did, but Toza was good and he had good engine in him and he, he, he got forwards into. He's sort of driving play forwards. It was quite good to see. And the first goal comes from him making a really good tackle in their half. And the second goal comes from him making a good interception in their half. So, you know, having that presence, you know, I mean, he's breaking things up and then they're spinning to our players twice to lead to goals. He, he was a really big presence in the middle of the pitch. It was good. Exactly. And I'm very pleased the lads have got this job done. Mm. And we were in the pot for the next round and we have got probably one of the hardest draws we probably could have got really Harrogate away is it away is it away, yeah it is yeah. away isn't it yeah. yeah they're flying in league two so that's going to be a real test for the lads isn't it that'd be interesting though won't it you know we have got players you know who should be rising to those sorts of occasions perfect you know it's a, it's, it's a real chance for us to, to lay some contentions on the table isn't it um, also at the first match I was the victim of middle class hooliganism. It was awful. You drive to <laughs> I you drive to Marine, you, you go through the industrial heartland of North Liverpool and all the docks and everything and all the factories and the warehouses, lots of abandoned little bits. And then when you start getting like Bootle Crosby area, you start well, the main road starts starts looking a little bit more gentrified, not massively. It's quite nice. I quite liked it around the ground with all these weirdly diagonal um, terraces coming off the main road. It was quite strange. And then by the ground, all of a sudden, you got like a fancy deli and things like that. You're thinking, oh, a bit hoity-toity. Parked around the corner. After the match, like I say, I was the victim of middle-class hooliganism. Because, get this, I I can only assume, I had to park outside someone's house on the, on the terraces, around the back of the ground. And I suspect, because the sticker on my car is from the garage I bought it from in Wrexham, gave away I'd come from Wrexham. It was quite an angry match. It was, a, I say, on the pitch and off it. It was quite a feisty atmosphere. The Wrexham fans and Marine fans had half a stand each. And clearly, I think somebody had seen the sticker on the back of my car 
and was filled with fury and felt they had to do something to my car. But because I can only assume this is a very uh, sophisticated middle-class Marine fan, what they did was threw a punnet of strawberries at my car. Middle-class wow. hooliganism. I come to my car and there's strawberries dripping down the back of it and a big punnet and all these strawberries on the floor. How middle-class is that? I'm that so angry, I'm going to throw some fresh fruit at that vehicle. I can top that. That's not the most middle-class thing I've ever seen at a football ground. Fair enough. I was at Wrexham the other day, <laughs> and someone was eating sensations of a pot of hummus. Oh. Oh, that is... <laughs> okay. So that really is the middle class creeping into the working man's game here, isn't it? Exactly. Hummus and strawberries, that's the name of your <laughs> the podcast today. <laughs> Hummus and strawberries. Oh, my word. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> Just let me make a nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, oh, that, was, that was a brilliant story. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I just like, what? It's so, so much expensive as well. You know what I mean? You got to really not. Not only are you, you know, you, you've got to be upper middle class to be walking down the street eating strawberries. I, I'd imagine that's what David Mitchell and Victoria Coram Mitchell do. Uh, but then to, to to be so infuriated by seeing a car from Wrexham that you hurl the bunnies at the car. I mean. Tasty, tasty snack wasted as well. Exactly, exactly. See, at least uh, the maximum of middle class fans eat the hummus and the sensations. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> that's not how I imagine the marine and the the formation uh, breakdown that we did. But how it, how it finished. But anyway, we're on to our next subject, which I asked on Axe Wrexham on Saturday. Blood subs. Is this a thing that should be brought into football? I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, injury, well, concussion subs, blood subs, whatever you want to call them. I think it's um, an interesting topic to be talked about, really, when it comes to football. What, what, what's your initial thoughts, Mark? Well, talk me through it. Am I right in assuming that in other sports you can be taken off for your own good and then brought back on, or it doesn't count as a, you know, you, you don't lose a substitution? What's the actual, how does it work? Well, don't quote me if there's any rugby fans listening. I think they can be taken off and then brought back on if they are not injured. And if, if they are actually injured, I don't think the sub counts. Mm. But, but I was thinking more of the lines of if you are concussed or have a split head open, say an injury that's not a normal fo- say a normal football injury, I think that should be, or even a normal football injury, if they're off on a stretcher or something, but maybe that sub just doesn't count. So maybe you just get one injury sub. Yeah, I, I, I really like the idea of it. I mean, certainly in the situation that Lainton was in, you're not going to be deliberately bringing your goalkeeper off for, for any reason. And, and maybe yeah, if it was an actual serious injury like that, maybe you should say, well, bring Dibble on and you still got three subs left. I mean, certainly it, it, that made it maybe has a small impact on Saturday. 
because you've got seven subs, so we still have loads of options on the bench. But losing one sub so early, I mean, Parkinson was quite limited in terms of how he could change things in the second half. I mean, you know, he's, he's sort of held off till halfway through the second half to switch a striker around. He, he, well, no, it's not big one. He lost high to injury as well. So that final mm-hmm. substitution was one that he was, I think, a little reluctant to make in case someone got hurt. And when he finally went for it, lo and behold, Mullen got hurt. Luckily, he was okay and carried on. But yeah, certainly with goalkeeper injuries, I guess what we've got to watch out for here is that footballers and football managers are unscrupulous and they will look to gain an unfair advantage from something like this. So I think, you know, like, for example, I was wondering, does a blood sub have to be like the referee says that bloke's got to go off now? Yeah, Uh, I think so. Uh, A ref or... At the Premier League level, you could have a doctor, couldn't you? A third-party doctor. I'm pretty sure there's still a legal requirement. We've got a club doctor, and I think the home team has to have a doctor at a game at National League. That's not that's not an impartial doctor, is it? Fair point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Hayden can fall over in the 75th minute and go, "Oh, my head's hurting." Blood sub, sort of thing. Yeah. Knowing that he's got a niggling injury, but I think having a third party doctor there to have a check check their eyes check out whatever needs to be done and then if they are unsafe to play then you take them off and that's that's what a blood sub would be yeah maybe it would work at the higher level but maybe not at Wrexham's level I, I like the idea I, I really like the idea but I, I just think we have to think about how people just find calm yeah because yeah. will, people will won't they and if say a blood sub doesn't count as a substitution then you're pressuring the referee to say he can't carry on and I suppose you've also then got those fine lines they, they need to be very clear what situation justifies it is it just a head injury you know if someone's broken their leg that's very serious but does that justify having a blood sub I'd argue not, because that's something a normal part of the game. Yeah. You break your leg from a tackle where it's getting kicked in the face by Marine centre forwards is not part what you signed up for <laughs> when you became a professional footballer. A broken rib or something like that. What about but, a broken rib or a broken collarbone? Are they normal injuries of the game? Well, if it's come about by a normal challenge, oh, I see this is getting tricky now, isn't it? I want to say it comes about through a normal challenge, then yeah. But then I suppose you can get a leg break, you can get kicked in the head from a normal challenge. Mm. Oh. Or do you go oh. do what Pep and Klopp were arguing for, the five subs? I I, think I don't that, like it. I don't like it either. I think it has a detrimental effect on the game as a, a spectacle. But I do understand why Guardiola and Klopp wanted it because players are put under enormous strain and especially after COVID, you know, I think there would, yeah, I, I, I think for players' benefits, for players' welfare, I think they're right. But in terms of the spectacle, no, I'd rather a fewer games personally. Were they, were they doing it for players' welfare or a tactical advantage on sides like, I don't know, they're playing a team in the bottom three yeah. and they're losing. They could bang on Gundogan, Gabriel Jesus, you know, all these yeah. amazing players that they have off the bench. That, that, yeah. that means they have a tactical advantage, isn't it? Well, totally true. And I always think that a bit with the FA Cup, you know, having the seven subs does put bigger clubs on advantage, doesn't it? Like like we were yeah. against Marine. 
Yeah. You know, we had some nice players on the bench. Um, yeah, but I do think there's a sports science argument behind it as well. I, I, I think there is something behind it too. I mean, the other issue, of course, with um, the player's health is that football is really bad at handling head injuries. Yes. And despite the fact that everyone's starting to talk about it, and other sports are genuinely, I think, altering the way they approach them, football is not. Football is still, you know, that's all walking off, mate. You know, I mean, you see see people bang their heads in football matches and nobody does anything about it. And I, I I am surprised by that, I've got to say. Well, that's it's the it's that old school mentality. Oh, roll up your sleeves, oh, you'll be fine. But really, you you could be really, really poorly in later life yeah. through these head injuries. You know, bo- boxers uh, can't box for months; yeah. they get signed off for months after their fights. Yeah. Footballers, they they actually probably throughout the year because you got to remember boxers have a lot of time off between fights where they don't spar. Throughout the year, footballers are heading the ball a hell of a lot. They're yeah. taking tackles. They're falling to the ground a lot. The footballers won the highest, got one of the highest concussion rates in all the sports. Mm. And then, as well as the golden hour, isn't it? Golden hour is it or golden forty minutes? The idea that if you got a, a brain injury, if you get treated within oh, if it's forty minutes or an hour, there's a much better chance of reaching you successfully than otherwise. And sadly, I mean, there are examples of boxers who, after a fight, complain of a headache but nothing that's really out of the ordinary they've been getting punched in the head a lot you know I mean it's not odds to finish a fight with a headache and then have gone home and collapsed and died because actually they had a brain bleed which had been undetected I mean the example I'm thinking of and I've forgotten his name now it was about 20 years ago so hopefully it's a bit more you know carefully done now but you know that sort of thing can happen a footballer could smack his head and there could be something worrying going on inside and they just let them carry on. I, I'm amazed by it. The cycling's got the same problem. Uh, and it, it does bewilder me that, I know I've just said the five subs thing spoils the spectacle, but there's a sense in cycling, I think like football, of we can't spoil the spectacle. Um, so they sort of ignore the needs to be serious about head injuries. And what's happened in cycling, basically, is they've sort of made a lot of noises to UCI about... Oh yeah, if, if a cyclist falls on their head, and you know that can happen. Let's be honest. Oh, I, I've I've landed on my head when I wasn't so hefty and was on my bike all the time. Not a pleasant experience. And um, they get up and they look really wobbly. But in cycling, if you take that rider out to do a proper concussion test, they're out of the race now. The race is down the road. And so they essentially just get back on the bike and ride while the governing body makes all positive noises about we're going to do something, but they don't. Um, I don't see why you can't look at where they are in the race and put them back in that spot. I know that might not always work, but, you know, they're not trying very hard to fix it. So football's not alone in this. You see cricket, they're clearly more careful. Now, yeah. when, when cricketers get hit on the head, they're more careful than they used to be. Well, there's been a few deaths, isn't there? Yeah, Hughes was the, the horrible example. Yeah, and they changed the equipment as well, haven't they? The day because um, he was hit underneath the helmet and his neck, and so they they now made I think obligatory. There's there's plastic inserts you can put around the back, and you have to change your helmet if it gets hit, even if it's trivial, even if the player just like you know sometimes you just got a glancing blow top the helmet so it doesn't have any impact at all but they still have to change the helmet they still have to do a proper concussion check on the pitch 
Um, in cricket, okay, you've always been able to retire hurt, so that was already in place, which is good, but they are taking it seriously. But I say football and cycling, not that this is a cycling podcast, um, are failing in that, I think. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You can even hear rumblings from rugby when rugby players are all, uh, when rugby players get pulled out for concussion you don't usually see them for a while they're timed out for a long time so yeah it's it's a discussion that i don't think is talked about enough because i think everyone in football tries to be tough guys but really you've got to be putting sports science and health first and it's, it's like it's meathead approach which a lot of other sports which are a lot more violent than uh, football have been taking this approach for a while like MMA they have a lot of af- after fights you've got day you've got a certain amount of days the commissions look at you and what have you I think I think brain checks and and concussion checks should be a regular thing in all football clubs whether they can afford it's another thing though isn't it um well yeah that's true but there's a lot of um money in football at the moment and a lot of it does trickle down and uh but again that's another problem isn't it you see clubs will make decisions based on what benefits them whether it's because the sport's full of money or because it, it raises so much passion um you know clubs are reluctant to hand money on to something that's not going to benefit them clubs are reluctant to have a, a substitution made which isn't uh, one that they've initiated. I mean, the whole remember that Eva Canero uh, issue with Josie Mourinho, where she had mm. the big uh, argument with them. I mean, that was because she wanted a player to come off because he was hurt. So, mm. well, she was not being honest about a player's health, and that didn't fit with uh, what the club wanted in terms of getting the results. So. Football's, Football's a results game, isn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's. I think it's a topic that isn't talked about enough in football. And I I hope it is in years to come, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully something positive can be done by it. Like maybe the National League, maybe the Football League, maybe the Premier League pay for these clubs to trickle down, so everyone in the Football League or everyone in the National League have these concussion checks once or twice a year. I think. I think it's, I think it's very important to do that. And you know, a lot, of, a lot of these old school footballers who have Alzheimer's and things like this. And I think maybe head heading practice should be knocked down a little bit too. It, it's, yeah, I think positive steps will be made, but it's just how you do it. Another thing, isn't it? I think I mean, this is about going to be a hypocrite because if you take heading out of football, you massively change the game. No, I'm not saying take it out, but yeah. I think reducing heading yeah. practice. Yeah, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Um, I think maybe that comes under the boxing argument of, um, you know, you're an adult and you're willing to take that risk, knowing what the risk is. A children aren't. Yeah, yeah, children, children are adults. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> Stop like, I, if kids are well, exactly, but I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, six years, about eight to ten years old, and I mean, my coach is doing corner practice, and you'd be pinging the balls in, you'd be heading it, heading it. Like, it, it's not really needed that kids for that age, personally. I mean, learning how to head it, but not pinging footballs at kids' heads, it's it's a fine line. I know, I know it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, it's a sport, and you, you, you don't know. 
as a kid, you don't know what that's going to do to your brain in the future, do you? Throwing, hurling your head at a ball. And you're not thinking about it, are you? I mean, no. to be honest. I, I, that's why I was a goalkeeper, you see, as far as I'm concerned, football's catching and punching. Exactly. You can misjudge it and you can punch a guy in the face as well. And that's a real bonus. Exactly. So, <laughs> on that note, we're going to finish off our podcast of a few little things we need to run through. I'm Jake Hyde and this is Dragonheart. Well, here's a question that everyone's been seemed to be asking online. Could we have played Tuesday's night's game at North Wales. And the answer is really straightforward because I was asked this with the commentary um, on uh, during the replay. And I said, I'll find out because I was wondering myself, are you allowed to play on the Welsh grounds? Because my logic was, if so, we definitely should. You know, we're talking about the fact that we can draw fans in from North and Mid Wales, and this is a great opportunity to play in a Wrexham home game, and you know, in North or Mid Wales, uh, was a chance to maybe get some more people interested. However, the answer is no. <laughs> we were not allowed to simply because the ground's got to have an FA grading certificate. Whereas they Chester all have. Then. Again? Chester then to North oh, Wales. Well, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, the Welsh teams, we've got Welsh FA grading certificates, so that means they, yeah. they wouldn't be able to hold a, an FA. Oh. Um, also, the, the other thing is that you've there are other factors, and I've realised this. If you're going to play in a neutral venue, what is your home game, you've got to um, not inconvenience the other side in terms of travel. So, you know, we couldn't hold it somewhere further away, which makes it harder for Marine fans to go to the game. And also in terms of capacity, I'm not sure whether that means you've got to have a similar, you know, you've got to have enough room for their fans to get in or that you, you can't move to a bigger ground and intimidate them more, I suppose. Mm. Um, so basically, we had to be fairly close to where Wrexham is and we need is based on, this is based on previous attendances for qualifying rounds, a capacity of around 2,000. Um, also, they had to, just to make it even more complicated, not have had a game the previous Saturday or midweek at that ground. Wow. So games, you know, if there was a club, uh, like, for example, well, we we did ask a club, so I better not say exactly which ones. We did ask a club, but they were hosting another team's games that week on the Saturday, so we couldn't use them because we did ask a lot of different clubs. Um and yeah, basically Nantwich were very accommodating. They apparently they were very helpful and keen to help us out. Um, you have to pay rent if you're going to play on someone's ground as well. You have to send people over to work it. Work it. Uh, they were very, very good. Now, if we'd drawn a big club with a big following, that would have been complex because Nantwich wouldn't have been able to hold Wrexham Chester. For example, Wrexham Stockport. Mm. Um, and I I don't know any more than what I'm going to tell you. We did have a football league ground lined up, but um it may have been a bit more complicated and not as good a deal, if you like, as what, what we did with Nantwich. So 
Interesting. So don't we go through it, basically? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. being able to go for a Welsh club. Although, you know, the owners have said they like the idea of us heading east and drawing people in from Stoke and areas like that and crew. So mm-hmm. maybe we started our little charm offensive there. Exactly. And uh, but fortunately, we don't have to worry about uh, that because hopefully the ground will be sorted soon and we'll be back home soon. It'll be a bit of an issue if it isn't, won't it? <laughs> That's oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it certainly will be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some changes to the radio commentary too that I think it's worth mentioning. Well, absolutely, yeah. So the next two games, Barnet and Maidenhead, will continue as normal, which means that Mixler will carry the commentary and... Um, but after that, it'll be switching to the Wrexham Club website itself. So it'll be on the Wrexham Player platform, which is essentially the Football League's platform, which we joined at the start of the season. Um, it will still be free, and it'll be free all season, so that's brilliant. If you paid 30 yeah. quid to get that commentary, don't worry. You should have been refunded. If not, get in touch with the club, but it doesn't sound like many people are having problems with it, so that's a good thing. So, yeah, basically, it'll be on Wrexham Player now, which is on the club website. You have to register, but it's free. So you do have to register. You have to uh, make an account, but it doesn't charge you. Um, I'm hoping it has the same sort of chat facility because I've got to say, this year I decided to give the Mixler chat a bit more of a chance. Previously, I wasn't so keen on that. I just used the hashtag AskWrexham on Twitter, and it's been really good. So I, I do hope we're able to carry that same community over um, to chat about the games. But yes, um, it'll be a switch over. It'll be free all season. And I'm delighted about that because I, I really, like I said, the chat as well as the games uh, have really come to life this season. And um, we've got a nice little community going to say regular people who chip in, all people are welcome. It's always fun hearing uh, people from around the world listening in. Someone from South Carolina sending a message saying that he was listening to the game while washing his car in his Wrexham shirt. And I did point out, Love it. I hoped he was washing it with a Chester shirt. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it was brilliant to do. And the other good news, of course, on the broadcast front is that Callan FM is now back on air. Yeah. And of course, Dragonheart is a Callan FM show and, and, and will remain so. You might be listening to this on Callan this week um, we ha- because obviously... Uh, they're still sorting a couple of things out so I'm not sure if we'll be on this week or next week but we are back on Calon on Fridays and I'm absolutely delighted about that because yeah. like I say I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a show set up by the Trust it's a show being done by the club now but it's a Calon FM show first and foremost and, and it, I love having it as a podcast too but it's great to have it back where it belongs because lots of local people who won't bother to download a podcast about Wrexham will listen to Calon, have it on in the background. And I want, to, you know, that helps the club to be part of the fabric of the town even more than it already is. It's been a long time coming. We've been we were doing a little video campaign video for this last season, weren't we? We've yeah. been wanting Calon to be back, and it, it's just excellent news that we are now going to be reaching another demographic of fans who don't get the podcasting world and don't get the you know the internet who just like to listen to the radio and i think yeah i think that's fantastic news and i am really really happy and yeah and we're still going to be a podcast too so oh yeah so it's it's reaching two different demographics and i think it's just great for everyone best of all worlds eh? 
Exactly. Also, we have the Fancy League, who a certain Wrexham player is top of at the moment. Yeah, a certain Mr. Dan Jarvis is top of Jarvis Juggernauts and has been top for quite a while, actually. Um, so fair play. I mean, you know, he knows his game. I've got to say, there's a bloke called Mark Griffiths and he's starting to climb his way up the table. Manager of the week the before the international break, Ooh. right up there again, about third, fourth highest total. Oh, he's tasty. 24th now, but leaping on aggressively. Magnificent. Let's see. 24th. 24th. I'm 28th. I um... You actually got more points than me last week. I just noticed. Oh, that's tasty. Yes. Yes, I got a good amount of points. Thanks to Mo Salah, who I changed as a captain. Yep. I, I'm not too far behind you. I'm at 28th. I've had a couple of bad weeks. I forgot to uh, do my subs and what have you, but I had a good week last week, so I am I am creeping in. Rexico FC, CF Rexico is creeping up the ladder, and but I'm definitely not going to win it. <laughs> I've got to say, well, firstly, I am going to win it, even though I'm 24th. Don't give up, Shay. Um, you, you've been ahead of me except for um, until that international break. I'm just looking through. Hang on. You were the manager of the week. What oh, was I? Yeah. You had oh. 70, 73 points. I had 66. There were a couple in between. But yeah, you're the manager of the week. So I was manager of the week the previous game week, and you were manager of the week this time. Hey, the Dragon Arts hey. Super League, just like the show brought to you by the experts. Oh. It is. It is. That's fantastic. I didn't realise that. I'm quite happy with myself. It's <laughs> tasty, isn't it? Yeah, we've got Evan Jones seconds, George Jones third, Kevin Daniels fourth, Rich Lloyd fifth. Uh, um, tasty stuff. My lad is 13th. That makes me angry. With his team, Inter, Rose Ed. Hey. James Harrison, who I was commentating with on the replay, he's 15th. Got to track him down. Timothy Lewis, who inspired it last season by goading us and has goaded me further with his team, Operation Defeat MG. He was top half of the first week, but I'm catching him up now. I'm only 10 points behind. I'm going to get him. Oh, get him good. It's really hot up. It's been really, really good. So, yeah, I'm really happy. Let's hope Wrexham get a nice win on Saturday. It's a tough, tough away game. They've been a bit of a basket case, haven't they, ban it this season. Uh, so, hopefully, a win for the Reds and Hopefully this new formation or the old formation works and we get another win. So yeah, if follow all our socials, there's Dragon Out Twitter, Dragon Out on Instagram, all the official Rex and AFC stuff, always bringing you great content. So yeah, thank you very much everyone who's tuned in. Adios muchachos. This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Rex and AFC media team.